2: In some ways, life for children is the same as it's always been. You run, you play, you scream, you cry and you laugh. But the world these children are running and screaming through is so different to how it was for children only a generation ago. For one, families themselves have changed a great deal.
3: So it was agreed that she would be removed from her mum's care, so obviously I put myself forward. Was that a
0: hard decision?
3: It was, because obviously I had to think of the impact that it would have on Miracle, but then the way I seen it where she's my granddaughter and I can't just see her going into care. The
2: way that children learn has become much more defined by nursery and preschool, as well as by the technology that's everywhere in their homes.
4: I often reach for my phone or for Spotify or whatever, almost as if I'm not enough.
2: And the UK has struggled to address some really stark inequalities that are making some kids' lives incredibly tough.
1: You do live from day to day with what money you can have and, you know, you can't really afford Luxuries that everybody else can get because it's difficult with childcare.
2: So that's why we're using this podcast series to uncover the seismic changes to early childhood that have accumulated in the past 20 years but have almost gone unnoticed. Over three episodes, we'll take you around the UK through nurseries and new beginnings, showing you the reality of life with young children today. From Tortoise and the Nuffield Foundation. This is episode one of Life Changing.
0: So, do you, do you, I mean, do you have any questions? Or anything kind of about me or what I do or where this is going to go or anything like that that you've got?
3: No, not really. I just-
0: just get on with it. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get on with
2: it. In this first episode, we're going to take a look at the shape of families. And we'll start in Sheffield with someone who's really seen the changes happening to families firsthand.
3: Yeah, my name's Dawn. Um, I've got two kids. Well, I've actually got three kids, and then custody of my granddaughter.
2: The voice you heard speaking to Dawn a moment ago is our reporter, Claudia Williams. She's here with us now. Hello, Dave. Hey, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you. Um, So, yes, I went to meet Dawn to find out more about her family and about her kids, really. She's got two kids who are older, um, but it's the two youngest that currently occupy her life the most, and that's her daughter, Miracle, and her granddaughter, Rainbow.
3: Yeah, I've got Miracle. she's... i I describe her as odd, (laughs) because she's just... She's setting away, she's got her own way of doing everything. But she's very clever, very argumentative. And she feels no way if somebody drops something, it, like there were a man on bus and he, he dropped his bag. Yeah, and she was like, that man's dropped his bag. And I was just like, no.
0: And then can you tell me about Rainbow?
3: Again, she's just got a personality of her own. She used to be a very, very quiet baby, very quiet. And now uh, she's. she's like a miniature rhinoceros.
0: Dawn's family life is pretty busy. Um, Rainbow the rhinoceros, who she just mentioned, is actually the daughter of Dawn's adult son. And for various reasons, she's been living with Dawn for the past two years now.
3: Basically, my son's autistic and he's ADHD, so he's got, like, mental health issues. Um, He's not really got capacity to bring up a child by himself. And him and his then partner separated. But Rainbow's mum had been brought up in the care system. And so there were a lot of social service involvement and she couldn't look after her properly. So it was agreed that she would be removed from her mum's care. So obviously I put myself forward to take me
0: Was that a hard decision?
3: It was, because obviously I had to think of the impact that it would have on Miracle, because Miracle at the time were only young and she was just learning and just... Miracle had a lot of problems when she was born as well, so she was undergoing operations and things. So I had to think about the impact that would have on her and obviously on us as a family, but then the way I seen it where she's my granddaughter and I can't just see her going into
2: care. Dawn's in a challenging and interesting position. She's had two kids of her own a couple of decades ago and now she's bringing up two more. So she's both a mother and a grandparent carer. And she's not alone. Research from the Nuffield Foundation shows how the shape and size of families has really been transformed. The way we live now, our family units have become increasingly varied. So many families today are living different kinds of lives to families only 20 years ago. So to help us unpack all of this, we're here with the lead author of the Nuffield research I was just talking about, Kerry Oppenheim. Hello Kerry. Hello. So this this research program
5: is an amazing body of work. I think it's been 8 years in the making. So I haven't been working on it for 8 years, but the Nuffield Foundation has funded a lot of researchers to work on early childhood. Some of that work goes back 8 years. And the reason that we did it is because young children's lives have just changed so much. So it's the changing face of early childhood. And by early childhood, we mean the ages of naught to five.
2: OK, so, well, there's a load to dig into, but let's just talk about Dawn's experience first. How do you think what we heard represents how families as a whole are
5: changing? When I was listening to Dawn's experience, I was really struck that there are a lot of people who uh, might not be the parent of the child who are playing the role of being a parent. So I think it's important to have a sort of a wide view of what constitutes the family rather than a very traditional one. Mm.
2: So a lot of people playing the role as you say and, and some like Dawn kinship carers not only looking after their own children.
5: Exactly that. And there are around 160,000 kinship carers in England and Wales. So that's around one in 70 children. So it's quite a large number. And not all of those arrangements are formal arrangements, often they're informal arrangements. And those people who are playing those, those roles need support, whether that's emotional support, practical support. So we don't actually know whether those numbers are increasing or decreasing. Mm-hmm.
2: And are grandparents in particular being asked to
5: take on more serious parenting roles? I think that's exactly right. So obviously in this particular case, Dawn's case, it's a very particular and and hugely responsible role but as you say parents are relying so much on grandparents also because of things like the cost of childcare and because you know they are able to be more flexible to fill in the gaps so if you haven't got grandparents around that makes life as a parent really really hard.
2: And do you think it puts a a bit of strain on wider families as well.
5: It, it can do I mean many grandparents now are also still in paid work and that's likely you know to continue to happen so how do we how do we square the circle with grandparents working can workplaces enable grandparents to be able to take some leave to look after grandchildren potentially we need to be more imaginative about how we accommodate different ways of looking after young children.
2: And thinking about dawn's particular experience she's clearly looking after children of different ages and some of them with some quite complex
5: needs yes yes so she talks about both her her own daughter who has got health needs and also her son who had who has autism and I th- you know the evidence is quite difficult to unpick, but it looks as though complex need and the number of children born with special educational needs and disabilities is increasing. And obviously that um, poses big challenges, not only for the children themselves, but for the people who support them, whether it's parents or whether it's nursery school workers. So I think there's a lot of unmet need in that area.
2: Mm. Claudia, when you were up there in Sheffield, did you? W- what was your feeling from Dawn? Did she take it all in a stride or is she just hanging on or how is she
0: she was quite frank that she finds it difficult sometimes from what i can tell through our conversation she's coping with it really brilliantly but it does put restrictions on her life and that clearly has an impact
3: rainbow goes to bed at seven o'clock so from seven o'clock i'm outbound i can't leave rainbow in bed by herself. so i think little things just being able to get out to local shops and just being able to just get up and go out anywhere really You've got to think about getting kids ready, putting the shoes and coats on. It's like 15 to 20 minutes, prep time, just to go to the shop, just to pick up some milk. Dawn
0: isn't always as stretched as this. Obviously, that sounds really difficult. Um, She does have a support network around her.
3: My daughter's there every day. She's got her own little baby.
0: Congratulations. So
3: she helps me out as much as she can. And uh, my best friend from school, she lives two doors away. We actually moved at the same time to be closer to each other. That's amazing. Yeah, so she helps me out with with girls a lot.
0: And that arrangement seems to work out for Dawn's kids as well, although it can be tough.
3: Miracle really struggled in the beginning when I got Rainbow. She was having massive meltdowns constantly. She hated the fact this other person were around. She's used to that idea now, and and now if we said, shall we send Rainbow away? If Rainbow's misbehaving, we'll say, well, shall we just send her away then? And Miracle said, "No, no, no. Rainbow has to live well. She just has to sit on the bottom of the stairs and have time out." So yeah, it's been um, it's been a difficult time, but we're getting there. We're all getting used to each other.
0: Because Dawn has obviously had this experience of having young children a couple of decades ago, as well as having them now, I wanted to know what changes she had noticed. And the big thing she pointed out to me was technology.
3: I think nowadays it's all about computers and phones and tablets, Miracle's not even five and she's asking for a phone. Wow. There's a lot of young kids nowadays that they've got Facebook, and I don't agree with that at six and seven year old. Wow. Having Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all these things. So
0: you know people whose children have yeah, Snapchat yeah, and like,
3: like five? Yeah, s- like six, seven year old, yeah.
2: Kerry, what's your reaction here? Is this something you've seen in your research, and is it indicative of a, a wider UK trend?
5: Yes, yes, absolutely. So, you know, whether it's tablets or internet connections or mobile phones, they've become incredibly widespread. So we and 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 I think often we don't think about it in relation to young children. Three quarters of under fives have got access to an internet-connected device. And that's a three-fold increase between 2009 and 2019. It's amazing, really, in the space of a decade that we've seen that change. It is, it is. And I, and I think, I mean, the research is still quite early stage, but, you know, it obviously affects how children play, what they play with, but also how parents are interacting with the family and the wider world. And, you know, we see pluses and minuses. On the one hand, you know, you can access these incredible resources for your child. On the other hand, you know, there's some early evidence that parents are distracted by using, you know, their own mobile phone or digital devices when they are also looking after their children.
2: Yeah, that really hits home with me, because we've spoken to dozens of parents during our reporting for this series. And, The conversations that we were having with parents of children under five, again and again they talked about both the good and the bad of tech.
4: Hi, I'm Lizzie. I live in London uh, with my husband Dan and our two children who are five and two, uh, a son and a daughter.
2: I think Lizzie had a really interesting perspective on how tech had shaped her relationship with her kids, especially her two-year-old son Isaac
4: if we're playing and i'm sort of thinking about how to bring a subject to life i use technology to reference really quickly and intersperse real world play with i guess it's audio visual stuff so we'll be talking about i don't know um fireworks right we'll, we'll do something about fireworks in march when there aren't any fireworks and i remember showing my son a film of fireworks or sound effects of fireworks on Spotify and I'm, I'm sort of constantly amazed that I can just get that up and show him but we've got this real kind of question of is that part of the flow of play or is it interrupting the flow of play I do feel quite reliant I often reach for my phone or for Spotify or whatever almost as if I'm not enough When I was uh, maybe an older child, we were quite early to get tech in our household because my dad was really into everything. So we had the internet in 95 and I used to do homework when I was 11, 12, using the internet. So, and I, re- I remember when the Kobe earthquake happened in 1995, we had to do a geography project about it.
6: The worst earthquake to hit Japan since the 1940s.
4: And we were flitting between web, I mean, I didn't know what a website was, but we were kind of on BBC as it, the news website as it then was. And I put together this project for this teacher and she was so, she. I don't think she'd ever seen anything created with the help of the web before. And she was astonished. And um, But I felt like I duped her in a way because... I'd been so excited as well that I could bring up an image of Kobe from the day before and print it at home. And so my memory of that is all of this information, but I, d- I don't think I really made sense of the earthquake as an event. And I suppose that worry does stay with me, that that sense of, am I, am I now doing that to Isaac, this sort of impressing with... With this abundance of beautiful content, but is there context for him that makes sense or that makes it useful for him?
5: I mean, I think it's a really important question about how using that technology in terms of interacting between parent and child may change uh, the young child's perception of, of the incident. I mean, the evidence suggests that all the things that are important without technology are also important with technology. So, if you're using the technology to engage, exchange, let the child lead you, then it's probably going to be good. Um, but if you're using it, to, you know, to ignore each other, it's probably not so good.
2: Did you sense the thinking about, you know, the lockdown that? Um we've also seen through access to technology, something which highlights inequalities.
5: Absolutely. So it's poorer families who are less likely to have, you know, a good internet connection. And that's been very, very difficult over the period of the lockdown. So... And this is their connection to their schoolwork. It is. And, you know, it's exposed this very big digital divide between people who you know have good fast internet connection and those who don't have any or relying on a single phone and then we start to see that in terms of the impact of the lockdown on how children are developing and learning ready to pop the question?
2: So one big difference between Lizzie's experience and Dawn, who we heard from earlier, is Lizzie's currently working part-time and from home, while Dawn's a full-time parent. But there are so many similarities as well. These are both women who are responsible for such a lot of the childcare. So Kerry, what do your reports tell us about how mums are working now and what they're juggling?
5: So really now combining paid work with childcare if you have a child under five it's the norm and that is quite a task and many parents both mums and dads talk about the stresses and strains of juggling all of those things. And over the pandemic
2: it I suppose, threw up so many challenges. But did you see any uh, new trends emerge at that point?
5: Yes. So mothers were particularly badly affected. They were more likely to lose their jobs during COVID. But we also, and I think this is interesting and important, see that for some fathers who were able to work at home, perhaps not for the first time, but they saw childcare, at first hand and they increased the amount uh, quite considerably of childcare that they did but still it's very important to remember that women are bearing the brunt of childcare around two-thirds okay well I
2: think that gives us the perfect cue to bring in a dad's perspective I spoke to Richard Miles he's been married twice and he's got kids from each relationship two older children from his first marriage and two much younger ones from his current one
6: After I left home and met my second partner and had children quite quickly, uh, my daughter didn't speak to me for a long while. So in fact, my 21-year-old daughter has never met her two half-brothers. Whereas uh, my oldest boy has always been quite actively involved with them, right for the moment go. Uh, He doesn't live with us. He he lives with his mates in North London, uh, but we see him probably once a week. The younger boys like to scrawl with him and jump on him and so on, and they have a very good relationship. I would say uh, the challenge for us is working my daughter into the mix.
2: So, Kerry, this is what some people call blended families, right?
5: Yes, or, or step families. Not all, all step families are like that, and some have conflict, and some don't. So, they're just like other families. And I suppose we
2: must know more about families of different shapes and sizes just by virtue of the fact that there are so many around now?
5: Well actually we don't know that much and a lot of the data is pretty old but in general the number of children who are experiencing a change in their parents relationship either because they're separating or because they're becoming a new family repartnering has grown quite significantly there's a growth in cohabitation Single parenthood, fairly stable now, but, you know, one in four families um, are headed by a single parent. More blended families, so families that are reforming and then have got more complicated relationships. So there's more change in children's lives.
2: And it's certainly been a big change for Richard's children. And even for him, things have been quite different between his first and second marriage
6: in the first relation we were both working um and now in the second one well, my second wife karen she was working when we met uh, but with the birth of zachary three years ago she decided she wanted to be at home for zachary and we were fortunate enough that we could afford to do that so she is the primary caregiver the primary parent if you like um but we're just about to reverse that because i'm i'm stepping back from what I'm doing and going to spend more time with the childcare to enable her, in part, to go back to work part-time.
2: That was inspired by what happened during the pandemic, just as you described, Carrie. He spent more time at home, took part in the childcare and found he really, really liked spending time
6: with his kids. I enjoyed being at home much more. Um, <clears throat> my job at that point required me to be in the office Five days a week, doing long hours, out the door, you know, seven in the morning and not back until after six, seven, eight in the evening. Um, so I, I began to see a lot more of them, which I thoroughly enjoyed.
2: Whereas Claudia, was it from Dawn up in Sheffield a different experience during Covid?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I, I should be clear that a lot of what I spoke to Dawn about was really joyful. But when it came to Covid specifically, I think that was really tough for
3: her. I think a lot of time we just felt trapped because we couldn't go out and obviously the kids wanted to go and play out and they couldn't understand why we couldn't go to a park or why we weren't taking them out anyway, you know? Even though they were so little, I think for Miracle mainly because she was that bit older, she couldn't understand why we weren't going out anyway, why we couldn't go to a park or whatever. And she'd say, it's sunny. She just knew she used to be able to go to the park and now she can't and she didn't understand why.
0: So we've heard about all of these changes and the pressures that families face um, and I suppose there's another parent in Sheffield who I spoke to when I was there whose story I think really put some of these forces into perspective um, and she's a young mother called Kerry.
1: I walk down because I only live above the road. Oh, you live really close? Yes, we live on this road, so oh, that's good.
0: Kerry is 24 years old and she has a three-year-old daughter called Lexi. And how did having your daughter change your life like your life specifically you know your social life oh, all those different so things. different
1: I think it's changed me as a person I mean I used to go out every weekend now I'd be in bed by half past 7 8 o'clock so when she's gone to bed so um, it, it does tire you out it does change everything but I'm happy because I've got her and she is you know she's my world I wouldn't be without her I couldn't imagine life without Lexi and what's she like? oh she's like little mother n she um Always comforts everybody, you know, she thinks she's about 10 when she's about 3. She's very kind, very caring, Um, got a little bit of an attitude on her, a little bit of a teenager at the minute.
0: Kerry is a single parent and she relies on friends and family to help her with childcare. And crucially, Lexi goes to a nursery two and a half days a week. But the nursery schedule has made it difficult for Kerry to find a job.
1: It's finding old. the hours. I mean, yeah. even if she did go to nursery every day, Monday to Friday, it'd be something like nine while three. So it's finding the work that's ten while two to get to and from Lex's nursery. And um, you, before you had her, were you working? I was, yeah. I was working for a charity. And then obviously when I fell pregnant, obviously I left. And then obviously the job obviously weren't there to return to. So obviously I've been, you know, out of job.
0: Do you think there's like enough support for you financially or childcare-wise? To, it's to very
1: difficult. It, it, it is very difficult. I mean, running a house on your own with a child is difficult at the moment without a job. I mean, talking about income, I mean, I do get my rent paid for, but I have to pay towards that. But, obviously, the only money I receive, I is a child benefit, which is £80 a month. And then I only get £400 as well, which obviously gas and electric comes out of that, your council tax comes out of that, your water comes out of that clothing things like that so without a job you are really you know stuck and you you do live from day to day with what money you can have and you know you can't really afford luxuries that everybody else can get because it's difficult with childcare. so it's it is very frustrating it sounds like it might be quite stressful it is stressful (laughs) especially when you've got a toddler who goes into a shop and she wants this and she wants that and you're like well I can't afford that this week it makes you feel like you know you're letting them down but there's nothing else you can physically do
2: So that's Kerry's situation in Sheffield. Kerry Oppenheim in the studio with me.
5: What do you make of that? I mean, what really stands out is the love and attention that Kerry has for her child. But it also, it just reminds you how hard it is to manage both when you're a single parent and also you have very limited money And, you know, on top of that, we've had COVID. We're now in the middle of a cost of living crisis. And when you look at what the research tells you, that families with a child under five are more likely to be in poverty than any other group. That affects well over a third of those children. And also that poverty has been growing faster for those children. And it's just worth remembering that poverty has obviously a direct impact on how much money you have for food, clothing, heating, but it also affects relationships and creates stress. And that in turn can impact on the amount of sort of mental space and energy you have for your child.
2: And it can really impinge on the the joy and happiness that goes on in a family. I think one thing that I really felt in a lot of the conversations we've had with parents was just the emotional weight they brought you know they were a lot of them were tired and stretched and really quite self-critical and often feeling quite isolated and you sort of come out with that thinking god are we doing enough
5: to support them absolutely I mean we know that mental health difficulties for lots of people but in particular for parents with young children have been growing And that's not surprising. So I think, you know, when we think about what can we do to support parents, it's just keeping in mind that actually we need to be thinking about the parent as well as the child.
2: And do you think people in government are thinking about this right?
5: So I think um, some things have been recognised if you think about civil partnerships and same-sex relationships you're recognized in the law and you can you know your identity is clear and you have the same rights so so there are ways in which government has caught up but other ways in which actually we still don't know that much and I think we we also don't necessarily know about those informal relationships that you talk about and actually we could get very fixed on the form and the structure. But actually what's important is the quality of the relationship within the family, no matter the kind of family, how strong and good it is, how you deal with conflict. And those are the things that are most important in terms of thinking about how the child is doing.
2: And with so many people struggling, it must be so important to find other sorts of childcare, right?
5: Absolutely. So nurseries, childminders, they play such a vital role in in family life. You know, they're that extra source of support. That's next time.
2: Mm. (laughs) Boom. Nice. We venture deep into the social jungle of an East London nursery. It's somewhere where parents feel very confident to come, where children love to be, and find out what life's really like through the eyes of under fives.
0: Just got played by a three-year-old again.
2: Life Changing is a tortoise podcast in partnership with the Nuffield Foundation. It was produced by Phil Sansom, reported by Claudia Williams, and presented by me, David Taylor. With special thanks to Carrie Oppenheim. This is the first of three episodes, so tune in for the others, and thanks for listening.
5: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?